They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. This week on the Legion Clubhouse, we're going solo! But, but not that solo. Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, number 272, The Secret Origin of Block. Published February 1981. Written by Jerry Conway, with art by Steve Dicko on breakdowns, and Frank Chiaramonte on finished art. Synopsis. It's Legion tryouts, with a former super assassin in the mix. It's interesting that I said Solo in reference to Star Wars in that intro, because that's one thing that I'm surprised the Legion of Superheroes has never really leaned into. We've talked before about the huge influences that uh, that Star Trek and other science fiction works uh, have inspired and added to the Legion mythos. And it, it, I think it boils down to a couple of things. Number one, uh, Star Wars is fantasy and Star Trek is sci-fi, science fiction, same way with all the other things that, that this group has referenced over the years. And the Legion of Superheroes really fits into that realm of science fiction, right? How do we tackle some of the issues of the day and put them in a context that is fun with kids and teenagers battling bad guys? And I think that's where we end up with the Legion of Superheroes. So Legion of Superheroes, definitely science fiction. And one of the things that we often see in science fiction is misunderstandings, cultural misunderstandings, uh, reflections on different cultures, reflections on cultural appropriation, reflections on, you know, look how bad we have been to this other group or community. In the case of the Legion superheroes, uh, they kind of started out that way, right? Making fun of, of Superman and then finally revealing themselves as, ah, we are the kids from the future. Come join our secret club. But that's where we end up with, in our first issue this week, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes 272, a giant misunderstanding. And for those of you, before we get too far into this, Matthew, not here this week. That's why it's a solo episode, right? Get it? Okay, good. Moving on. In 272, we get the secret origin of Block. Now, before we get too far into this, I am not a super fan of Block. And I realize Block, for many of you, is awesome. Uh, Block is the rock on which everything the Legion of Superheroes has, has built uh, for many of you. For many of you, Block can do no wrong. Uh, for many of you, Block may be that wish fulfillment fantasy of, I wish I was strong and tough and just let the world's problems wash over me like they do to Block in the Legion of Superheroes. I totally get that. I totally understand where you're coming from. I just don't find the character of Block that interesting. And, and, and beyond just the fact that I don't find Block interesting, I can't really give you any other reason besides that for not liking this character. Uh, probably for the same reason why so many people love Bouncing Boy, and he's one of my least favorite members of the Legion because 
He got his powers, not because his dad threw him in a microwave oven, not because, you know, uh, the, the sun rained down upon his culture. It's because he was being dumb and drank a, a soda that he wasn't supposed to drink from the wrong bottle. So I, I, that's kind of falls in, in the reason for me not being a big fan of block, which is why we get the origin, the secret origin of block. And it ties back into what I mentioned a moment ago about misunderstandings and maybe this character not being so interesting to me. Now, here's what I want you to do. If you love block and I mean, you love block. If you think block can do no wrong in whichever incarnation, although I will say, I think maybe the future version of the reboot Legion block, I think is maybe a little bit more interesting, but if you really, really, really love block, what I want you to do is fire up your, uh, internet mails system right now. And fire off one of those hot uh, internet emails to me. Podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Forget the uh part, right? It's just <laughs> podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And let me know why Block is your favorite member of the Legion of Superheroes. Be specific. I want to read these on an upcoming episode. And I'm sure when Matthew returns, uh, we can get him to share some of his thoughts on why uh, he likes Block so much. But in this issue, we really are seeing another Legion tryout day. We get three new potential victims. Um, We get, who do we get? Lamprey, Nightwind, and the Crystal Kid. So, spoiler alert, none of these recruits make it into the Legion of Superheroes. At least not in this timeline. I know, for example, Crystal Kid and... um, Lamprey and Nightwind, I think they went on to try to do some other training, but I I guess they washed out the Legion Academy uh, shut down or something. And then I think he still shows up in the five year gap. One of you out there will correct me on this Legion Omnicon or somebody, somebody awesome will correct me on Twitter about that. But I know really nothing about these characters beyond their brief appearance here. And also Block is part of this uh, cadet team, which is interesting because when we've seen the Legion Academy before, it's always been, you know, this room full of students that have supposedly already been accepted into the group and they're training so that they can then have their big tryout with the Legion. And here, it seems to be kind of the opposite of that. Here are these people that are relatively new. They've been going through the Academy and now block has been, um, has been allowed to be a part of this recruiting process. Of course, you have some Legion members that are being really cool to the new recruits, but then you have Wildfire, who's kind of being a a, a, a rear end <laughs> in this case, especially to block. Uh, you know, you got to you got to train. I don't know why we should allow you in here. The way I kind of feel about this and maybe you guys feel the same way in the interactions between block and Wildfire, it really feels like Wildfire is trying to be Johnny Storm. And block is the thing, right? In the way that they interact with one another, they, they both have kind of the same overarching powers. One is a fire flame, you know, plasma based, uh, energy based. And the other one is earth based powers, right? Rock. And so it really kind of feels like these two, or at least maybe this is what DC is trying to do with wildfire and block is trying to figure out a way to make them feel like uh, Johnny storm and the thing. But during the break in in their training session that they're having, I mean, uh, Block is just like, oh, nothing bothers me. I will just, you know, wander through 
this maze of death and let all the pokey bits break across me. No big deal. And so it's kind of like, okay, this guy literally is shrugging things off again, very much like the thing. But during their break, uh, all the other recruits sit around and go, gee, Mr. Block, tell us, how did you go from being a supervillain to being one of the members of the Legion of Superheroes? And Block's like, well, let me tell you, once upon a time, white guys landed on my planet and colonialism still exists in the 31st century. Or at least that's how it reads today, right? Because every member of this group uh, that comes down to Block's planet, they they come down and they're like, hey, there's no living sentient life on here besides these crazy animals. Therefore, we will plant our flag and declare it to be us and we will start naming all these things. And everybody in that expedition is white. So you can't, you can't unsee that part, okay? Later, uh, Block explains, and again, He's just telling this to, to these uh, group of recruits. Uh, he starts telling them about later how settlers came and that women stayed in the workplace, stayed at home and worked while men went out and tamed the land very much like frontierism. Um, <laughs> still very odd that they make a point to say the woman's place was in the home in the 31st century. That's that's a little weird and uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden, one day, this little girl loses her dolly or drops her dolly and one of the rock people, one of blocks people come to life. And the people of the planet, uh, the settlers are like, why didn't you tell us that you were here before? And they're like, we really didn't trust you. And we thought that we should observe you for as long as we can learn your language to just see if you were going to be hostile towards us or not. And again, again, it feels very much like Native Americans uh, meeting the settlers for the first time. It's like, oh, we didn't know that you people were around here. Uh, That's because we were watching you to see if you were going to kill us or not. And in a weird kind of twist that goes against, you know, some of the historical things that we know from history, all the settlers and blocks race all decide that they're going to get along just fine. And they live in peace and harmony for a really long time until one day their son starts going all crazy. And then block who was a little, little wee child at the time, maybe not too wee of a child, but is like all of a sudden these brightly colored people showed up out of nowhere and told us to get on these ships and that we were leaving this planet and they ordered us to do these things. And all of a sudden we were, you know, we were pushed and shoved onto these, these ships. We know them as lifeboats and our, and we were forced off of our planet. And when we got up into space, we saw our entire planet explode because these horrible people in these colorful costumes who I later found out were called the Legion of superheroes uh, destroyed our son and caused our son to blow up our planet. And I think you understand what's going on here. So everybody who was on the planet, you know, mutated, you know, everybody got their own powers and everything block wanted to seek revenge. And so this is a very revenge driven origin of block. He totally misunderstood what was going on because all of a sudden people said, get on the ship. These colorful people made them go up into space and watch their planet destroyed. And then they were relocated to other places. It seems very scary. And I think that when we look at history, when military comes into a community and tells you to get out, whether that is for your own safety or whether that is part of, you know, we're going to burn this village to the ground or burn the bomb, this city to, to oblivion that you can kind of see where animosity builds up. Right. So if you were somebody that was told ahead of time, Hey, get out of this city in Germany because the allies are getting ready to bomb the city to the ground. 
and you're a young child and you're being forced out of the city and all of a sudden you turn around and your city is bombed to oblivion and you look and there's nothing left, you could maybe start to build up some resentment to allied forces or American forces in Vietnam or Korea or, you know, Soviet forces in, you know, all the countries that the Soviets have gotten into. So you can really see where Block is coming from in this in this story. But like Star Trek, which is how we got into this portion of this segment. The cultures are able to figure everything out in the end. Once Block figured out what is going on, he's like, I really had no reason to battle the Legion. They were, it was totally a misunderstanding on my part. And the cool thing about Block in this issue is he's willing to admit that he made a mistake. And I think that's the interesting thing is, is that I wish more of us would realize that, oh, I misspoke. I've said something wrong. I mean, for those of you that have been listening to me on this show for all the years that we've been doing it, know that I uh, don't understand the Legion down to the minutia like some of you do, which is awesome, by the way. But if I make a mistake, I'll, I'll be more than happy to admit that I make a mistake. But I wish more of us would be able to come forward and admit our mistakes and failures because I think, like Block, you start to have a greater understanding of where where you should be with society and how you should look at people that you once thought were your enemies. So anyway, back into this story, uh, the Starburst Bandits. You remember these guys, these guys that have this perpetual uh, look of shock and anger on their face. Their mouths are open all the time. They break out of the prison that they've been held in. And so the Legion members that are at the Academy are like, oh, we've got to go deal with this. Uh, you, you three in block, Lamprey, Nightwind, Crystal Kid and block. If you want to come with us, do so. We're going to give you these flight rings. Let's go. Yo. And so they go flying off. And of course, Lamprey and Night uh, Wind and Crystal Kid all think that this is some training exercise, that this is one of those last moments where they're being tested to see if they're going to get into the Legion of Superheroes. And we've seen this happen before, so it makes perfect sense. And just like Block misunderstood what the Legion was doing when he was on his home planet, so too do the three members of the, the recruits when they are approaching the uh, Starburst bandits and totally get blown. I mean, not get blown away, but I mean, they're kind of decimated in the process in the process block. Just kind of walks up to these guys as they're firing the bursts from their hands and just deflects everything, which does bring up to, I think maybe beyond, I don't find block interesting block also is a little bit overpowered, right? I mean, these massive beams that are taking out every other member of the Legion and the kids that are trying out, they're all taken out. Yet Block just walks up, opens up his arms, deflects the beams back on the Starburst bandits, knocking them out. Wildfire's powers don't affect Block. Nothing seems to affect Block. So I have a feeling that as we look over the next couple of years, as we approach the five year later, as we approach crisis, all of these kinds of things in the reboot, I think we're going to see ill-defined powers with block. He is either the heaviest lumberingest character on the team that even a simple flight ring, it can't negate the effects of gravity's pull upon this massive body and that he can take on everything and nothing can hurt him. Or, we're going to see Karate Kid punch him in the face and his uh, his arm falls off or something. I have no idea, but 
you kind of get where I'm, I'm going with this. Block is like a, an overpowered member of the team. Even Ultra Boy, who can switch powers, has vulnerabilities. As we look in this issue in the origin of Block, unless he's got feelings, unless there's a psychological trick that someone can pull on him, I think Block's a little bit overpowered. What do you guys think? Podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Also, there's a dial H for hero backup in this issue. And I will admit, I am not the biggest connoisseur of Robbie Reed and his little magical device that lets him dial up any, any hero, even Plastic Man. Um, so I know a little bit about the powers and I know a little bit about, you know, what the, the dial does, but I haven't followed the Robbie Reed adventures hardly at all. So... Uh, if you're a Dial H for Hero fan, you definitely want to read the backup. I do not believe that this is in the Omnibus collections. I do believe it is in the digital version that you can find on Comixology. And speaking of that, while I've got you as a captive audience, um, if you're interested in buying these issues, now that we are at a place where the comics have caught up to Comixology, each one of these issues can now be bought through the Comixology store, through the Amazon store. Uh, so if you're in the show notes and you see that link, if you're on the Majorspoilers.com site and you see that link and you're like, ah, I want to buy the secret origin of Block and see if Block is as interesting a character as Stephen claims to be, you can click on that link and that will take you to our Amazon affiliate link where you can buy uh, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes 272 or the next comic, Legion of Superheroes uh, 273. You can get that digital comic. You can read it in your Comixology app. You can read it on your Kindle app. Uh, it's not going to cost you anything extra. I think it's like a buck 99 for each of these issues. A little bit comes back our way and helps keep this show going in the future. So thank you for that. So that's Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes 272, the secret origin of Block. I like the, the reveal of Block was wrong and he just misunderstood everything. And that's where he's coming from. And he's trying to make amends. I do think that Block is overpowered. This is a pretty average story in, in my opinion. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Legion of Superheroes number 273, A Murderer Among Us? Published March 1981. Written by Jerry Conway with art by Jimmy Janes. Synopsis, The Terrifying Return of Pulsar Stargrave. A murderer among us? The issue opens with this idea that absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Because the newly elected president of the United Federation of Planets, I know it's not that, but it just go with me. <laughs> the new president of the UPN, the UPN, Jim's mom is saying, hey, Legion of Superheroes, you need to disband because you're not following your charter. And everyone's like, what, what, what? And they're like, yes, you have it in your charter that you shall not kill. And if you don't disband that or disbar that member, then the Legion needs to be dissolved. And they're like, who killed anybody? And Starboy's over there in the corner raising his hand. And then everyone slowly turns and looks at Brainiac 5. And they're like, uh, I think we proved that Brainiac 5 didn't kill Ayn Rand. 
or however you say her name. I always think Anne Rand, and I think in the letters column of this issue. No, no, no. I was actually looking up Anne Rand online, and I re- I found a website where someone is like, I keep thinking Anne Rand every time I see uh, the the murdered girlfriend here. Oh, uh, spoiler, uh, Anne Rand died from heart failure. The real Anne Rand. I think everyone is pretty comfortable with this understanding that Ultra Boy's uh, girlfriend, I think it's Ultra Boy's girlfriend, is dead and gone, and everyone seems to have moved on, except once everybody gets back to the headquarters and they start thinking about it, they're like, hey, wait a minute. You're right. If Brainiac 5 didn't kill Ultra Boy's girlfriend, who did? Who killed Ayn Rand? And so Brainiac is like, uh, you know, if you guys want me out of the team, I'm off the team. I'll go do stuff. And then even Brainiac, even in space while he's leaving, is like, wait a minute, I didn't kill this person. I'm going to go find out. And then we get pretty much the espionage squad getting down to business and trying to figure out who killed Andran. They split up. They find out that as people are coming onto the planet, that everybody is logged and cataloged into the home world. And there's no record of Brainiac 5 ever coming onto the planet. Uh, when Chameleon Boy and I forget who the other one is, goes to the, the it's an apartment or a hotel room where the murder took, took place. I think it's a hotel room. They get some weird readings there. And so they start to figure out that no way, no way could this be Brainiac 5 doing this. And then each time a mysterious stranger shows up and does some real damage uh, to our character. Starboy goes down. Uh, somebody may be dead, question mark. Is it Jonah? I don't know. But even Brainiac 5 is trying to figure out who did it. And that's when we find out who the real murderer is. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Pulsar Stargrave! Ziggy Stardust is back. Yes, it's complicated, right? Anytime that we deal with Pulsar Stargrave. I guess he's terrifying. I mean, you know, you heard Jason earlier. He says the terrifying return of Pulsar Stargrave. I guess he's kind of terrifying because, and this gets really complicated, right? So this is the original Brainiac android who decided he was bored with his life in the 20th century and decided to travel to the 31st century where apparently he was in stasis and he came upon the Kulans who decided to uh, build their society around him and, you know, build up their intellects. And so in a sense, the Brainiac line does go back to, uh, to Brainiac, the original Brainiac and the Brainiac lineage at one point, you know, Pulsar Stargrave decides to take on Brainiac's father's name and appearance question mark and pass for him. That was the last time that we saw Pulsar Stargrave. And now he's back. And, and now we understand who this mysterious figure has been all along. One of the things that I had mentioned, oh, I think it was in the last episode. Maybe it was the one prior. I was questioning, you know, what is the lineage? And I had somehow confused this backwards chronology of how the Brainiacs were, were named like, you know, the original Brainiac was somehow the descendant of Brainiac 12 or Brainiac 5 or something like that. And there was a lot of discussion both after the show between Matthew and myself and online among the Twitter followers of how I may have confused all of that. And one person said, oh, maybe you're thinking of Zaphod Beeblebrox, right? That may be so. But I also think that it has something to do with Pulsar Stargrave. Right? In how 
essentially Pulsar Stargrave is in the future and he somehow creates the lineages of Brainiac, even though somehow it's tied back to, to Brainiac, the original Brainiac in the Superman. It, it's complicated. I apologize for getting that part screwed up, but for some reason, I still think that there's some kind of reverse descendant chronology going on here, but I think Pulsar Stargrave is, is part of, of that, of that problem. So I think that's, I think that is, uh, somewhat interesting. So thank you for bearing with me, everybody who pointed that out uh, online. So Pulsar Stargrave kind of goes after everybody here. We see Chameleon Boy and Star Boy just taken out. Even Chameleon Boy, when he's uh, switching in all of his forms, he gets blinded by the light. Uh, Star Boy tries to absorb all the energy. His skin basically gets burned. Phantom Girl goes material when they're fighting Pulsar Stargrave and she gets knocked out. And then something Something, something, Ultra Boy disappears in a big burst of energy. Is this the end of Jonah? Pause here for dramatic effect. So Brainiac 5 finally figures out that, you know what? It's not me that's the problem. It's somebody else. And so he goes and tracks down all the Legion members, and they're only able to find three of them. Again, what happened to Jonah? We get kind of a, a cliffhanger moment in that story of what will happen to him. But then Brainiac 5 on a mission to take down his, illeg not his illegitimate father, but his make-believe father, a.k.a. Brainiac. And so Brainiac 5 and Ziggy Stardust, a.k.a. Pulsar Stargrave, have a giant confrontation on the planet or planetoid where uh, the Legion confronted Ultra Boy when they thought that he had killed Ayn Rand. And of course, when you have uh, great cosmic energy, Nothing can destroy Pulsar Stargrave. And so Brainiac's like, well, I think I can. Uh, if I can't destroy you, then what I will do is trap you inside of this force bubble with me for all eternity. And yes, I may die, but you also will be trapped in here. Which doesn't, does that make a lot of sense? I've trapped you in here inside this energy bubble with me. I've, I've expanded my own personal force shield. And we will be trapped in here forever. And there's no way you can get out Brainiac. And Brainiac, number one, being an android, shouldn't his uh, hate tapes know that all he has to do is wait until Brainiac dies or kill Brainiac himself and then flip the little switch that says off and then he'll be able to get out? That's a little weird, right? But regardless, uh, Brainiac, uh, Pulsar Stargrave, can't get out of the bubble. And so he goes, okay, I'm going to expend all of my energies and blow us both up and he does, the bubble doesn't burst, and there's only one lone survivor, and it turns out to be Brainiac 5, because he had two personal force shields. One that he extended to entrap Pulsar Stargrave, and the other to protect himself so that when Pulsar went supernova. I'll let that sink in for just another moment for you. When Pulsar went supernova, uh, Brainiac was able to survive, and now they have to go and pick up the pieces, and we have to find out what happened to Ultra Boy. I think there are some other things that are kind of interesting in what's going on in this issue just before I, I, I wrap up this episode. A couple of other observations. Jim is really kind of broken up by, you know, what's going on with my mother? Why is, why is suddenly she gone crazy with power? So this, and the mother's just like not having any of it, right? She's basically like, look, we can't talk in public about any kind of policy stuff. If you want me to be your mom, I'll see you during mom hours. And Jim's like, fine. And then he does a slow Hulk walk away. 
Meanwhile, there's another thing that is just kind of dangling there. And this may be one of those things that we've talked about before, which I think this is the time period where DC kind of figures it out as if you kind of sprinkle story elements throughout the issues and then they come to fruition later on. Then you're like, oh man, this is the greatest long, you know, not long con, but this is the greatest uh, lead up to an event ever. There's something also going on with Timberwolf, right? He's like, if you want me to go with Chameleon Boy and the others, I'm not sure I can. And Light Lass is like, the headaches again? And he's, yes, these migraines are killing me. Uh, and then he's like mentioning like, before I go, before I die or, or something. I mean, he doesn't say die, but there's the strong implication that he's in his last days, that these headaches are finally going to take him out. So hopefully we will find out what happens in a future, uh, future installment before it gets too late. I have a lot of fun with Pulsar Stargrave. I think he's a bit silly. I think he's a bit over the top, especially when you're coming in. This is 1980. Disco is dead. Disco's been dead for, what, two years at this point? And eh, maybe it's still going on. But the whole crazy Brainiac is a disco uh, silver surfer riding maniac through the stars. I think it's just a crazy idea. It would be nice to see Pulsar Stargrave return again and again and again, kind of like we see with some of the others, uh, the Fatal Five or um, even Mordrew. You know, you get these characters coming back every so often, like uh, it used to be that way in Superman, right? Right With Mr. Mixiospitalik, uh, where he would just show up like clockwork every year or so for a fun issue and then he's gone. I kind of wish we could see more of Pulsar Stargrave like that, but maybe not. That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Thank you for playing along. Uh, I hope you found the solo outing interesting. Some food for thought. I mean, what did you learn this week? Share it. Podcast at Majorspoilers.com. But Stephen, what did we learn this week? Well, I think we learned that it's been a long time since we had a last Legion Clubhouse episode, and I didn't want to drag that out any further. So that's why we ended up with this installment. I think we also learned that even the strongest of us uh, can sometimes admit that they were wrong. And finally, I think that, uh, you know, disco will never die. Thank you again for checking out this episode of the Legion Clubhouse. If you have any questions, podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I think I've said that enough. Uh, also, if you enjoy the show, want to see it continue, want to see us bring back uh, Matthew and maybe some other people in the future, who knows, then come support the show. Uh, we would really love your support. Uh, many of you are already doing that, but I think there's many of you who are still on the fence about it. Uh, tell you what, head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers. That's patreon.com slash major spoilers. Kick in five bucks a month. That's like two bucks an episode, something like that. If you can become a silver level member in 2022 and we can get enough of you, maybe we could make this show weekly. Maybe we could bring in more guests. Maybe we can bring in some other uh, cool Legion bits for you. Let's see what we can do. Patreon.com slash major spoilers. Thank you in advance if you're not already a member but are becoming one. And thank you eternally to everyone who has already become a patron. In fact, this entire show wouldn't have been uh, possible had it not been from the contributions of one of our great patrons who stepped forward and said, Hey, I want to make these shows happen. Let's make it happen. So be like our awesome Legion patrons and sign up today. Patreon.com slash major spoilers. Until next time, I know.
The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2022 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.